Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Emily. Hi, uh, this is Eva from Charlie Bliss. This is Spencer. This is Sam. All from Charlie Bliss. Thanks so much. Of course. Thanks for having us. us. Yeah, this is really, uh, really fun. If you uh, listen to the podcast, you'll know that uh, I think it was in Thanksgiving episode. Uh, we we mentioned Charlie Bliss kind of briefly. Um, I have kind of a wild story about my cousin. So go back and listen to that if you care. If you don't, that's fine. I get it. Um, but uh, so you all are in Brooklyn right now. Yes. Yeah, we're home for a minute. Uh, we've been touring so much over the past few years and it feels really good to be home for a little while. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, Cool. Well, just before we get started, I have a few kind of housekeeping things, if if you all don't mind. Uh, Let me look at my Patreon. So Get Offset has a Patreon. If you want to support us, uh, that would be so nice of you to do. We have, uh, I think, a $1 level, $5 level, a $10 level. And for $25 a month, I will write you a song. (laughs) Cool. No, No promises on anything about the quality of that song. So I'm just going to shout out our current patrons, uh, Noah, Aliyah, Jason Fuzzmonger, Jason Weiser, Jeff Covey, Jim Burns, Joe Braga, Juan Ortiz, Mark Gannon, Mark Packham, Stephen Davies, Steve Rao, twice, what? Okay. Tom Kelly, Tyler Cochran, and Zach Hale. Thank you all so much for keeping this podcast afloat. Good people. Good people. Um, Being in the patron uh, for $10, you'll get some swag for... Five dollars, you'll get access to to bonus content, and that usually means seeing a demo video early. Or sometimes we remember to record a pre-show, which we didn't today, but that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, cool. So, Charlie Bliss, um, you'll have been a band for pr- probably uh, longer than most people would maybe expect, like since high school. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It started. Spencer and I started writing songs together when we were seniors in high school. Um, but the band started like when we went away to school, uh, I guess that was in 2011. So long, mm-hmm. long time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. What's wild is that's the year I graduated college. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is, uh, yeah, that feels like a long time ago at this point. Yeah. Um, and you all, so your most recent album is uh, called Young Enough. Mm-hmm. And how has the response to that been? Um, it's been like a really great year for us. We released the album in May. Um, most of this year has been dedicated to like promoting that album and touring on it. And um, It's really wonderful. Uh, we loved making that record. I think we just had a really positive experience making this record. It was very different been the first time we recorded an album which took like many many years and uh it just took forever to release and by the time it came out we were already like oh, we've been playing these songs for so long um yeah but i think for this record we all just really felt connected to it and proud of it and um so yeah it made for a great year what do you what do you think the difference was in recording the first one versus recording young enough I think we were just figuring out how you make an album. <laughs> like we, mm-hmm. we really didn't know what we were doing. And um, in some ways I'm really proud of that. Like we just did the best we could and made a lot of mistakes. And <laughs> so we recorded it twice, uh, the first album. Um, and I think, you know, we look back to like the biggest mistake that we made probably was just that 
we felt like, oh, once we had written 10 songs, it was like time to record an album. But, uh, you know, really the best way to make an album is to have a lot of songs to choose from and then pick the 10 best. We, you know, I feel like on the second album, we really dug a lot deeper into the arrangements and um, pushed ourselves really hard and stuff. And I, I think there's something really wonderful, actually, that comes from writing in a more condensed time period. I think, like, uh, that was a really good thing for us to have the pressure of, like, uh, well, we have to be working on this and we have to be using our time well because, you know, we're touring so much. Like, if we don't, if we're not really focused on this, we're going to, it's going to take forever for us to put out another record. So I think, I think all of those things really pushed us to uh, be more focused as writers and um, write a better record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, Eva, I know you went to the Clive Davis Institute at at NYU. Is that, is that, do I, am I remembering that right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do you feel like that helped you um, in any real way in terms of actually now being a professional musician? Yeah, I, I I think I think in a lot of ways it did. Um, I think you know just being around uh, other people who were doing the same thing and learning from them, and and you know being in a community where I could talk about things that I was trying that were working or weren't working, and hearing from my classmates about you know the same things that they were going through and stuff. And um, I had like a few professors, especially who were really encouraging um, and. Uh, pushed us to to think bigger always, which was really helpful. Like I had one professor, Errol Colosseum, who um, really like very early on in Charlie Bliss told me that I should book a tour for us in on the West Coast just to like see if I could basically. Um, nice. And that was such a valuable experience. I think like, you know, just A, in terms of like thinking of the band, as like a possible real future <laughs> like I think like that kind of was a changing like a defining moment for us like it bringing it out of New York and and um stuff felt like a really big moment for us and then also you know just like as we've gotten bigger and now we work with a lot of people and we work with a booking agent like knowing how that stuff works uh and how every like everyone's job that they're doing and having insight into how like how they do what they do and how hard they work and how hard it is to organize a tour, how hard it is to be a manager or whatever. Like, I think just that's really valuable. Um, not just like blindly trusting people and, and not like blindly asking them to do things for you, I think is, is a really wonderful thing that I walked away from that. So that was, that was like a holistic, um, it wasn't just studio uh, recording kind of thing. It was more of a full music business sort of program. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of everything. Um, there's definitely like music production, um, and but there's also like music performance, songwriting, um, music business. So it was I I felt like it was a very holistic education. Um, there's certainly some of my classmates were in it more so for like the production side of things, um, and I feel really lucky that I learned some of that. But that wasn't my main focus. In but the program. now you have the vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. uh, I always like asking people who, who studied music business that question. Um, I, I studied music business and majored in it also. So, uh, but in Nashville, Tennessee. So it's always interesting to me to see how different people get very, very different things out of the program. I mean, look at you, you're, um, you're a touring musician, a professional musician. And I assume that's your 
primary job. Uh, I worked tangentially in the music industry and have since I graduated. And then I look at people like my husband who went back to school to become a software developer because the music industry wasn't for him. So that's always something that I like to to see exactly uh, how people differ in their um, in, in what they get and what they take out of that kind of program. Yeah, definitely. And it's cool too. Like, you know, I, I think like all of us went to school for different things. Um, Sam went to school for like classical percussion and um, Spencer was like an English major, creative writing major and uh, Dan studied theater. And I, it's cool. Like it's been really interesting to see how like that all of us and what we studied has really like ha- has had uh, has made an impact on the band and, and how we pursue things. Yeah. I can see all of those coming in handy. Definitely. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so you also mentioned um, how with, with Guppy, you thought that you would just go in with 10 songs and then you had to record those 10 songs. But with Young Enough, you came in with more and that eventually you released those, uh, some of those extra songs as the Supermoon EP. And that's something I had, I had a few questions about because uh, just of the songwriting process, it's really interesting to hear um, those tracks and then listen back to Young Enough. And there are a few few times where I was listening to the uh, EP and I was wondering, uh, this is a, kind of a harder question to ask. Um, Elvis Costello, uh, you know, Holly's most well-known song is Allison. And he had several songs that were later released as B-sides or unreleased tracks uh, that he said that he listened back to them later and realized he, he was trying to write Allison and just didn't know how to yet. Did you feel that way about any of the tracks on Superman? Yeah, I think all songwriting is kind of like that. I think, you know, like, and that's such an important thing to remember and something I try to keep in mind every time we start over, like start writing whatever the next record is going to be or whatever we're doing next. Um, I think like, you know, with every record, you of course have one song that's like, oh, this is going to be the song to beat. This is my favorite song that I've ever written. Or I'm so super proud of this song. And then you love it for a while and then it becomes this kind of like looming shadow over everything you do where you're like, Oh, how am I going to do that again? Like, what did I do to get there? Like, I like, how can I replicate that? And, and of course it's different every time. And, um, but I think, uh, (laughs) I think that, um, something that's so important to remember is just like, and especially right now we're in the process of like beginning to write for the next record or third album. And, you know, I'm kind of so much in that phase of just like, every time I go to the practice space to write, remembering that whatever I write doesn't have to be the best song I've ever written, or even, you know, like, it's just like the process of getting there and the process of getting your brain back in the habit of writing songs um, is so valuable. And really like, you know, on Supermoon, admittedly, it was kind of hard to release those songs. Um, It's not that we're not proud of them, uh, but it is a, bit like that of like it felt like showing like yeah like revealing a lot like showing our mm-hmm. homework or something showing like, your work um, and yeah exactly it was like a little uh yeah it felt a bit vulnerable to show these songs that were like songs that you know yeah were the work in progress songs to getting too young enough but you know um it's cool to hear that it's in some ways like enhances the 
experience of listening to young enough that is nice cool. <laughs> that's awesome uh and that makes a lot of sense are you are you familiar with the the she shreds one riff a day challenge any of you uh, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of that on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of reminds reminds me of that a lot. Just the idea of uh, it doesn't have to be perfect, but just sitting down for 10, 15 minutes every day and just kind of practicing your instrument or trying to write a little something. Um, I've done it two times now, and each time I've come out and just written at least five things that I was really, really proud of. They're not fully formed or anything all the time. But uh, just the idea of going in and building off of something else and not putting too much pressure on yourself to create that perfect thing is very valuable. Yeah. yeah. And I think when we were writing Guppy, I think like that's my mindset was so different. Like I was always like, you know, all I can do is just wait for that perfect song to come <laughs> along again, whenever it's going to happen. Um, and so the process of writing that record was really slow. <laughs> um because I really think that, like, you know, towards the end of writing Young Enough, we were just writing constantly. Yeah. And I believe that writing breeds more writing, like, so, and better writing. Like, when you're just, like, your brain is in that setting, you just, like, are going to write better because, you know, like anything else, it's, like, when you're in the habit, you're going to be better at it. So, um, yeah, I think having having some kind of, like, practice of writing every day or writing however many times a week or whatever, I really feel like that makes a big difference. I like, I believe in, I believe in 30 day challenges. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm doing a 30 day yoga oh, challenge. Nice. Right <laughs> awesome. Cool. Uh, well, I got to take a second to, to thank our sponsor for the episode is uh, Dwarfcraft Devices based out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Um, if you're listening to this episode on Tuesday, the 14th, uh, then yesterday we announced that we're giving away a limited edition pink grazer pedal on our Instagram. So head over to the Get Offset Instagram and check that out. Uh, the grazer is my favorite Dwarfcraft pedal. It is hard to explain, but basically it listens to your playing, takes little micro samples of your playing, uh, and then spits it back out in a glitchy, pitchy sort of way. So also have a demo of that uh, so you can listen before you try to win. Uh, my personal favorite pedal that I would have on my board always if my singer let me. Sorry, Jenna, to throw you under the bus like that. Uh, so yeah, Dwarfcraft Devices, check them out, enter the contest, good luck. Fun, fun pedal. Uh, what pedals do you all play? Um, well, uh, this is Spencer. Uh, I have kind of uh, been through a lot uh, the past year because uh, my stuff really likes to break a lot. Um, but currently heavy foot. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I, I definitely have had, um, a Strymon pedal called the El Capistan. I think oh, in, yeah, yeah. It's probably, probably like pound for pound, my favorite pedal that I've ever owned. Um, and that's been in the rotation the whole time, like ever since we, I mean, well before Guppy really. Um, and then... I, uh, the newest addition is, uh, a pedal called the Enzo by a company called oh, Maris. Maris. Oh man, you have one of those. Yeah. Nice. I do. I do. And I want them to sponsor me so bad because everything they make is like $400 and I have no money. It really is. Um, so they have the, like the poly moon. Is that one of their reverbs? I think. I don't know. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, 
but I, mean, I say that with honestly like no like ill intent at all like they everything they do it's, it's worth like every penny oh, totally. um I've, I've toured with it now for like the better part of a year and i haven't had a single problem with it which like i can't really say for many other pedals um but no it's great i mean uh obviously young enough is a much more synth heavy record um and there are like fewer uh guitar centric songs i mean there's guitar on every song of course but i think the focal point of the majority of the songs are more textural and more synth driven um, which presents a big problem for a guitar player who does not know how to play piano <laughs> at all. Uh, I, I try. I, I fumble my way through. <laughs> uh, what, about that, what about that pedal that uh, kind of makes your guitar sound like a synth? That, that's the that's one. That's the one. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was definitely purchased in a moment of uh, desperation of not wanting to be kicked out of the band because I <laughs> needed, needed to do something during our live show. Yeah, we were really thinking about it. They were, <laughs> they were gonna give me the boot. That pedal track tracks so surprisingly well. Yeah, I uh, I tried uh, like a bunch, a bunch of like these synth replicator pedals. I made like just a day of it. I just went down to one of the guitar stores I really love in uh, Manhattan, and I just kind of brought like all of the synth quote unquote synth pedals that they had there, and not like. There's some great stuff out there, but like nothing came close, I don't think. Just to like the versatility that the Enzo has and um, just how reliable and dependable it is. Like it doesn't glitch out at all. Um, As you said, the tracking is like, I mean, it really does just make your guitar sound like a synth. It's it's perfect. I've never heard anything as perfect. Yeah. (laughs) It helps you get that funky John Cristiani tone. Spencer, (laughs) do you want to talk about yeah, uh, <gasps> Spencer has a history of uh, posting on John Frusciani message boards that he'd love to tell you. About. Sam, <laughs> Sam is here to tell me this, this entire time. Sam will just be here to make me look as bad as possible. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's big brother. Sam, Sam is the world's Universal. big brother. <laughs> seriously, big brother. If, if there is truth, Sam has found it and will <laughs> make sure to publicize it far and wide. I uh, yes, the the rumors are true. I. Uh, used to be very active in uh, the online uh, guitar message board community, which is really cool. It's a very weird really, space. Really cool. <laughs> uh, yep, it is, it is. There's a lot of strange masculinity going on in those uh, message boards. Oh, it is, let me tell it's you. so bad. It's so bad. I am, I am male on every single one of those message boards I've ever been on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, the locker room. Not great. <laughs> it's really not. Some of them are getting better, but really they're not. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Dan, our Dan, Dan's bass daddy, Dan, just walked in. Hi. Hey. He's getting attacked by my, my dog. Oh, oh, oh my god! <laughs> Ollie is mauling Dan right now. Okay, we need to talk. We need to talk about pets because usually on this podcast we talk about pets. Mine just ran out of the room. Oh, <laughs> Ollie is Sam and his girlfriend's dog. Uh, attacking Dan with he's, affection. Yeah, he's very snuggly. Easy. He has very like human expressions. Oh. Um, <laughs> Sam, what kind of? How can we describe Ollie? He's uh, he's one and a half years old, and he's a total mix, and he's really uh, rambunctious and playful, and loves people. 
very much. And Dan is he's, he's a very handsome, beautiful dog. It's true. I haven't seen him in a while, so he's he's uh, taking stock of me and deciding. <laughs> nice. Oh. Yeah, tell us about your pet. Uh, I have a black cat named Princess Carrie Fisher. She is the opposite Aww. of a social. Hates people. Yeah. Loves me. Mm-hmm. But uh, how cats are. Yeah. That's how cats are supposed to be. Some, some cats are really social, and mine mine just hides from from strangers. But she's just this cute little black void, and uh, I love it when she hides. You go to, like peek under the bed, and all you see are these two yellow eyes staring back at you. But she's 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 a snuggler with me. I I work from home. I'm basically a freelancer, and she comes and hangs out with me most of most of my work day, and then she'll go back up to the bed and hang out. Aww. Yeah, she was a she, I, yeah. I don't I don't know what happened to her in her past life. She was about four or five when we got her, and just has some weird uh, things that she's scared of. So makes you wonder a little bit what people did to the animals before you adopt them. I know, I know. Ollie, our dog has like intense separation anxiety, and uh, so yeah, and and one of his ears stands up, one of his ears Aww. flops down. So I'm like, what happened to you? Who did this to you? Yeah. Does Does Ollie like uh like music? He loves um, Herbie Hancock. Actually. <laughs> oh, nice! It's really weird. We put on watermelon, watermelon Man, and he goes nuts. He starts running around like crazy like that. <laughs> Whatever or whatever they're playing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ollie's loving it. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Cool. Well, it sounds like Dan is there. Uh, does yeah. Dan yeah. want to introduce himself? Oh, yeah. I'm Dan. I play bass in Charlie Bliss. And um, as if I don't have any pets, but I am obsessed with French Bulldogs. I'm wearing my Frenchie socks right now. Um, oh, amazing. I would pull the trigger and get one, but they're like $4,000 in there. <laughs> they all have intense health problems, so yeah. it's it's kind of tough, but I do want one. Yeah, it's it's hard when you really want that breed that has that bad issue. My brother has a corgi, and like, yeah, that thing's hips aren't great. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's like I crumble when I see them, <laughs> so I, I like feel like it's right, but I just don't know if I can pay the you know the vet bills and the just the price to get one is crazy plus we're on tour all the time so i don't know it'd be kind of my boyfriend to take you know control of taking care of it most of the time Mm -hmm. i i get that i was just uh we just had uh joey from la neve and downtown boys and joey was mentioning how uh he he just moved in with a a cat so a roommate who has a cat and he's like, yeah, it's nice to have a pet because I just don't know if you should have one really when you're on tour all the time. I'm like, yeah, I get that. In a way, it's the best because I feel like when you tour this much, something that I get is like, I don't feel like I live anywhere. Like it's even when you come home, you're like, Ugh. <laughs> it's, it's just weird. And when Ollie, like Sam, Sam and his girlfriend and I live together and when Ollie, like, when we get back and Ollie goes, like, totally nuts when we walk in the door, it makes me feel, Aww. like, okay. Like, I'm like, yes, <laughs> I live here. This is the dog that I hang out Aww. with. <laughs> He's happy. That's home. Home is where your dog lives. There's gotta, yeah. That's got to be a bumper sticker and some. So, did you hear that? Oh, oh, yeah. I'll make it louder when I edit the episode. 
<laughs> All right, so the next topic on my list of topics is the Josie and the Pussycats movie because Eve, I heard you're also a fan of this movie, and I don't ever get to talk about yes. it. <laughs> oh my god, it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, Sam and I grew up watching it like once a week at least. It's so it's so underrated, and I don't understand why it's so underrated. The music is great. It's hilarious. It's relative. I, trust me you're preaching to the choir i um i we love that that movie and yeah i i really count that soundtrack as being like one of the most influential um records i listened to growing up really like i would just have it on repeat it was like that dixie chicks and michelle branch was like all i listened to when i was little um and i really feel like the older i get the more i'm like wow like massive like influence over my <laughs> songwriting. I think it's aged really well too. I think it's become kind of a cult favorite and maybe it was underrated when it came out, but I feel like over time people have come to like really respect it as like being like an amazing movie. I mean, the cast is incredible. The yes. songs are great. Like it's just, I, I think- Ahead of its time. I think the instrument miming is not bad. No, though I will say, like, one of the darkest days of my childhood was discovering that, like, Rachel Lee Cook and, like, Tara Reid weren't actually playing their <laughs> instrument. I was like, what? Like, there's a scene where, like, it occurred to me one day to watch the bonus features on the DVD, and you you see who I now know is Kay Hanley in the studio with, like, Rosario Dawson and Tara Reid, and I was like, wait a second, who's that? Like, why? Where's Josie? Like, why is Josie song? And I was devastated. Dev- like, really, like, I felt like everything was a lie. Um, and it really messed me up. Though now, as an adult, like, that's one of my favorite things about the movie is, like, as I've gotten older, like, discovering that Kay Hanley sang it all and wrote on some of the songs and, like, uh, uh, um, like members of that dog and Adam Schlesinger and from Fountain yeah. Queen, like it just makes it all more. I'm like, oh yeah, like that's why I've gravitated towards all these things that I've gravitated towards as an adult is because of yeah, this totally. Movie. I mean, I think that when I saw Josie and the Pussycats the first time, I might have already known Letters to Cleo for some reason. So couldn't have been from um, Ten Things I Hate About it's You. It's a hundred percent either that or my mom. Yeah. I, <laughs> oh yeah seattle yeah yeah did you guys go to the the troll under the bridge when you were in seattle no but i would love to i really want to it's pretty dope it's pretty cool it's (laughs) it's dirtier now than it was in that movie i think they power washed it or something but uh that troll is wild because they um the whole reason it was built was to reduce the amount of drug deals that were happening under that bridge and it worked. They're like, well, we'll just, we'll just build a tourist attraction under the bridge and then junkies won't come here. And it worked. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Art for good things. That's nice. I guess. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, yeah. I just watched. Yeah. I, actually, I just watched Josie and the Pussycats the other day. Again, my, my husband had never yeah. seen it. So I made him watch it and he, he liked it too. Uh, yeah. Just such a great cast. Um, and I think that. Think people it when they haven't seen it. And then you show it to them, and they're like, "What? Like this movie is unbelievable. It's hilarious and very good." And I, I know that for me, it was one of the first times I saw like a woman playing a guitar, 
in a band situation in a movie, except for maybe like Purple Rain. Same. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, if you're cooler than me, I had not seen <laughs> Purple Rain when I was that little, but like, but, um, but yeah, for me as well, that was like a huge, a huge part of it was just seeing women play instruments in general. And I think it just got like, I obviously loved uh, like playing pretend <laughs> as a little kid and like, from after seeing that movie like that's the only game I ever wanted to play with my friends was like okay we're in a band uh like and growing up like I'm the youngest of three and obviously my brother plays drums and Charlie Bliss and stuff but our other brother plays guitar um and like you know even even though like I could never actually convince my friends to start a band with me (laughs) growing up like I do think that like even just like seeing that and having that be in your brain and thinking like, oh wow, like I guess I could do that because I saw them do that in that movie. I think like it really affected, clearly affected <laughs> my decisions. Uh, like, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you start playing guitar after you saw that movie? No, it was a while before I. Uh, not a while. I, I guess I started teaching myself to play guitar when I was like sixteen or so. Um, and um Spencer helped me learn how to play guitar and would like anytime I would hit something and like not be able to figure out how to do it he would teach me over FaceTime (laughs) oh nice oh yeah very age different that's right I chat chat video conference calls at the time (laughs) some offshoot of AIM um but yeah that's really like Charlie Bliss started over iMessage, yeah. um, iChat, whatever it was called then. Oh. I have no <laughs> idea. Over the computer. Over the computer. What is it? Over Y'all had computers with cameras in high school? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It's like a four-year difference. How does this happen? <laughs> probably, probably exactly four years for one of us. Um, my birthday is also May 10th. Oh. oh, hey there. Hey. Or does represent. You mean Becky Foster from high school. I don't know a lot of them. Oh, Becky Foster. Oh, Becky Foster. <laughs> Wonder what she's doing. How's she Listening doing? to this podcast. Absolutely. Right hate, hate listening to it. Just hate listening to it. What? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember much about that girl. I hope she, I hope she's doing all right. Uh, yeah. positive energy positive energy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no ill will to the most people in my very very rural high school but some of them they know what they did they know oh, what they, they did. did just mean uh, everyone's mean when they're in high school because everyone's miserable that as hell true. it's true yeah uh, one, one of my yeah. great uh, schadenfreude joys in high school was watching from afar while my 10 year high school reunion just fell apart Oh, no. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, well, they they were going to have it at this vineyard in rural Ohio near where we grew up, which you know should tell you everything you need to know about the quality of that vineyard. <clears throat> and uh, people didn't want to pay the forty dollars to go, which provided you know two drinks and like a meat option. So they decided to move it to someone's mm-hmm. farm, and then it rained the night before, so it just got rained out. And then it got canceled. And then the people who flew in were super pissed. And uh, I'm just like, I'm at some random ass lavender festival up in Squim. 
uh, Washington, just like watching this unfold on my on my Facebook group chat, just thinking, oh my god, I'm so glad. I'm so glad oh, to be so far man. away from that right now. Just like everyone's high school insecurities just came back. And then all of the high school feuds came back. Yeah. It's like, I thought we were, uh, maybe what? if you're still so bothered by like what happened in high school, therapy would be a good option. Mm, true. Very true. Yeah. Is our is our high school going to be like next year? You know, I haven't been tracking it. <laughs> haven't, uh, <laughs> haven't really been keeping up. I, I was just thinking like, no sh- zero shade to anyone who would who would want to do that but um i have absolutely zero interest in doing yeah, that yeah i'm a, i'm gonna be busy that night yeah, yeah. i have our here i guess i guess but it's like playing your tour so that your way <laughs> yeah exactly whenever we're back in, if i'm like back in my hometown over the holidays or whatever if i go out to like one of the bars or whatever where like you see people from my high school. I feel like people come out of the woodwork to be like, hey, man, how's it going? It's like, we were not friends. Yeah, <laughs> no. You were mean to me or like just like not not even part of my world. So I don't know. Like, let's not even. You are not of part of my world. Did you all have a big, was it a big high school? Huge. Yeah. yeah. Really, really cool. Uh, like, a, like a small college. It's like yeah. enormous. Um, yeah. There were like 500 kids per grade. Yeah. That's, that's big. I think mine, I graduated with about 300 people. Mm-hmm. My school district was a hundred square miles, which is very large. Um, and it, cause it used to be so rural. So it was like, and then a bunch of suburbs happened. But I, re- I think the last time I like went home to my small town because my parents moved, they like got the hell out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at some restaurant, and there was this 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 girl I was friends with in in middle school and high school kind of, and her mother just always hated me for some reason. And then this woman went so way out of her way to like come up and be really friendly to me. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening right now whoa yeah she's got to look him in the eye and say you're not part of my world (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if that would cut or who are you (laughs) it's hard to tell uh do y'all want to move on to a next uh topic yeah sure uh so the next one is we can we can skip this but uh the next one on the list was discussing sensitive or personal topics in song and and the reaction uh to that from you know how that might differ between fans and friends and family. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. It's it definitely like young enough was a very personal record, but Guppy, Guppy as well. Um, and I think like, that's kind of like, I don't know. I really admire people who write songs like, and write characters and like fictional <laughs> lyrics. Um, but I, have never really been drawn to doing that. Um, so, you know, Young Enough is a super personal record um, and details like a really toxic relationship that I was in, an abusive relationship. But um, I think like overall it was just as much as it was a really challenging experience, um, like, you know, before the record came out, especially like having to sort of have some difficult conversations with my family members and people who maybe like didn't know that all of that had happened to me was um really difficult and confusing um and you know 
that that was actually like the harder part. I think when the record finally came out and like our fans got to hear it and we were honest about what it was about and the subject matter, that was just like such a positive and wonderful experience. I feel like I am really lucky to have received so much support back from the people who like our music. Um, and whether that's like just seeing people in the audience really like go for it and like and seeing them really connect to certain songs on the record or you know talking to people after our shows and hearing that they've been through something similar it has just been um I think it's been a really like healing year for me um and uh yeah I feel really just really grateful for the experience yeah that's that's good to hear and I I figured that um the fan reaction was have been strong because it's it's not an uncommon situation for people to find themselves in and to to hear somebody mm-hmm. else talk about it uh in such a straightforward way uh is it feels good yeah oh, oh thank you yeah and and it felt good to talk about it i think like something that is so like insidious about like abuse and stuff like that is just that you feel compelled to keep it a secret um, and you don't want to tell people about it. It feels like something you should be ashamed of. And obviously that only makes it affect you even more so. Um, and I feel like this has just been such a great example of that for me of just like, if you, if you are open with people and if you are willing to connect over things that feel like difficult to talk about, it's just such a, it's really kind of helps free you from shame and you know, that cycle. I mean, there's a reason that talk therapy feels so good, but it can only go like just even talking to one person is, is very helpful. I know for, for me personally, but to go out and tell more people about, you know, these traumatic things that happen to you and me and a lot of people, uh, just, it it makes the world feel less, uh, hard, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of comfort that comes from knowing that, you know, whether it's like, I felt this way, like with, you know, our first record, I talked a lot about struggling with anxiety and depression and stuff. And then, you know, this record as well, it's like, the more you realize that everyone kind of experiences the same, whether it's the exact same scenario or something similar or whatever, it's like, it's very comforting and, and, um, you definitely feel less alone and, uh, and it, for me, like, you know, there's so many women who I can think of who in detailing their experiences made me feel more brave and feel stronger and like I could get through it. Um, so it felt like a really wonderful, uh, wonderful thing to, to do that with other people as well through our music. Ah, totally. Cool. Great. Uh, well, I only have one other topic if, if you all are interested in, in hitting that. Yeah, bring it. So this is this is one that uh, uh, kind of came from a recent tweet that pissed me off, and I just thought, "Why? Well, yeah, sure, let's talk about this." Um, mm-hmm. A recent tweet from a, a guy named Eric Alper read: uh, "Artists don't create music to be rich; create to be happy." And uh, my feeling is that can sort of bleed into this idea that art isn't something that people should be paid for and it's something that you know i struggle with even as someone who's who's kind of typically a a hired gun guitarist um 
and people not wanting to pay for it for that kind of work. Uh, what what do you all think about that kind of that that idea or just that statement even? Yeah, I think it's I think it's complicated because um, and it's something we're up against a lot is like you know I, yeah I, I think like something that I've always been really grateful for when we are creating and when we're in the process of writing a record is I think that the four of us are pretty good at just being very in it when we're in the writing process and not thinking about like oh is this going to be the record that like is this going to be the song that makes us like super famous is going to be the song that you know like makes us a ton of money like whatever because I think that that's really counterproductive for writing I think that like puts a ton of pressure on something and you know I feel like it, it's a quick way to lose your own voice if you're just trying to you know make the thing that's going to be the most successful um but also there's a huge financial reality, um, which we are always up against in this band, um, of like, you know, it's expensive to tour. Um, we live in a very expensive city. Um, and like, it's making money in music is harder and harder, uh, as time goes on and I, I don't think people I know I know it's something that's like often talked about it's like oh like well, how are you gonna make money you're a musician but I do think you know even like we have hit this level that I feel really proud of where I feel like we have like a really solid fan base and we've toured and seen more of the world than I ever thought we'd be able to and I you know I find that often when I run into people from high school or like people who don't know me that well anymore like are like oh my God, like you must have so much money. Like you must be like totally like set right now. And it's like, oh God, is that not true? <laughs> oh, I wish. Um, and like, but I get why people would think that, you know, like we post photos of like our shows and like, you know, it, there's a lot of people there and that, you know, that's what I would think too. Like I remember now like bands we used to see in high school and I would be like at Bowery Ballroom, I would be like, they're, they're famous. They're loaded. Like, they're loaded. <laughs> they have like six houses and like they are never going to have to worry about anything ever again. And like, you know, and living it out uh, is a totally different experience and that Sam is about to have kid um and you know that's a financial adventure and um, so it's financial like, adventure we're, <laughs> we're having a kid to have a financial uh, adventure so so i agree with you it's like uh yeah i like ideally it would be wonderful if you could have both things like you know if you like i think like when you are creating and you're being creative like sure yeah make the thing that brings you joy that feels the most uh authentic to you but at the same time like we got i mean it's work yeah. <laughs> like, i think i think it is yeah it's, i think it's, it's, it's absurd the way people like devalue art they're like oh you're a musician or you're an actor or whatever like yeah, you know, that's not the same thing as being like a doctor or working in marketing or whatever, like a, a more what people call like a real job. But like if any of those people try to go like a week without watching a TV show or listening to a song or whatever, they would go insane. I mean, it's oh, yeah. like every restaurant you go into, every pharmacy is playing music, every like it's 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 just as important as any other job there is. And ha the have you been in a restaurant and the music just stops for a while? It's so weird. Oh, it's so it's awful. awful. For some reason, like, a lot recently. Yeah, on tour. We went on, like, like a, a week-long tour in, in, in Canada, and I think for, like, five straight days, every restaurant we went to was silent. 
Did they not want to? <laughs> did they not want to pay their SoCan blanket license or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, weird. Oh, and and also like it's something that we struggle with a lot because this year more than ever we were on tour the vast majority of this year we were away a lot and right now we all have like massive crazy burnout um and like but it's weird it's confusing to work that hard um and then come home and have no money like yeah. i think sometimes i i really struggle with that and come home and i'm like am i a slacker like am i like i i don't know like what does this mean about who i am and where i'm at in my life like we get you know we're getting little older not really but like you know there's certain things that like milestones you have for yourself where you're like oh no when I'm this age I'll have xyz or whatever I'll be able to do this and you know it's those things are things that we're still struggling with like none of us have like a retirement fund growing or anything (laughs) like I can barely pay my rent so like it's confusing um but at the same time like yeah a as Dan just said like it's it's a hugely important part of culture and how we all experience the world and like as a job, it's like a really hard job. I think like people often are like, "Oh, you're so lucky. You're just like on tour all the time. You're just like seeing the world." Huh. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but really, we see like one street in every city in the world, <laughs> like to where the venue is that we're playing, and then we have to leave early the next morning, and like, and we work really, really hard. Um, and we're lucky because we're doing what we love. But you know, it's a uh, it's it's a tough thing. I, I I would say like about that tweet. Like I think the worst thing about it is just like it's not black or white. Right. It's yeah. like that. You know, like both both of those things are true. Um, but you know, Can, yeah. I would like to make a living somewhere in the middle is where that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, would like to pay my mortgage. Would like to feed my <laughs> cat. Cat cats. Yeah. The cat's gotta eat. No, I. I uh, I'm actually pretty lucky right now. My my husband's in 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 tech, so he oh, no. <laughs> he's yeah. paying the mortgage while yeah. I'm kind of a t- yeah. yeah yeah. Hey, you know the the thing of okay, the thing about my husband working in tech now is that when I met him, he was a part time package handler at FedEx and he lived in a girl's attic. <laughs> so yeah, uh, glow great. up. You try new things; it's wonderful. Yeah, I supported him while he went back to school, and uh, now he's a. Uh, helping to support me while I uh, do other things. And not everybody has that kind of support. And I feel very, very, very lucky to do so. Like I know that if something happened with my job, I wouldn't have to like immediately go out and try to work at Amazon doing 60 hour weeks or anything terrible like that. Uh, So it's. Did did the girl know he was living in her attic? (laughs) She did. She did. He kept the spiders away. (laughs) Oh, good. <laughs> he was living in an okay. So this woman uh, that he knew had bought a house and was basically living in it and renting out all the rooms. And when my 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 now husband's then roommate got married, he needed a place to live. And she's like, "Well, I have an attic. It's not really finished." So he just like put an air mattress in there, and he tried to make it homey. And I stayed over there once or twice, and was like, "I can't. You got you got to come over to my place more. This is." It is cold. And there are so many spiders. Oh, God, yeah, I feel like that's fun. I feel like Drake Bell lived in an attic, and Drake and Josh. In the- I used to fantasize uh, was- about living in an attic. Uh, hey Arnold. Oh hey Arnold. yes. Very cool. Like I, yeah, I always thought I was a witch when I was little, and I was like that would have been really like that. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Legitimized. <laughs> oh my god. Now I'm wondering if my husband would be embarrassed that I just told everyone that he's living an attic. <laughs> Well, we had a very positive reaction to that. Yeah, it was cool. It was a nice uh, setup for him. And he he did some work on the house to kind of help with things. And then he moved. I think that he moved in when we'd been dating for like four months. Because <laughs> I was like, I can't with the addict, man. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and now we're married and have a cat. So, yay. yay. Happy endings. Yeah, happy endings. Well, uh, thank you all so much for, for being on the podcast. Um, well, I've been Emily. And this has been Charlie Bliss. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thank you. Yeah.